Hello, everyone. Welcome to Secure IT, where we discuss all things cybersecurity, people, trends, and products. And I want to thank you for joining us on our continued journey. Today's a big day. We mix it up a little bit. We're going to go a little easy on the cybersecurity part of the conversation. Well, well, kind of. Mark Dubinsky, who I consider mentor, influencer, and friend, has been kind enough to join me today. And influencer. He does influence me with a lot of conversations and, and meetings, and uh, as you'll learn more in this conversation. So indirectly, he still influences cybersecurity. So as his LinkedIn profile says very clinically, president, board member, leadership, strategy, succession, what they what doesn't say is uh, team magic and avid runner, Mark Dubinsky, welcome. Thank you so much, Olaf. It's great to see you, and I look back. That uh, my first trip to Torrance to meet you was back in uh, 2013, I believe it was. Wow, that's that's so. We are celebrating uh, 10 years, Mark, and uh, exactly. I remember uh, Todd Morax, our mutual friend, uh, meeting him up in California in Los Angeles, and he had this bright red uh, beard at the time, which I think he's now changed. But it was November, and I'm there with an equally you know, black beard and we are very fully facial hair growth men talking to each other. But yeah, fond memories. And you came over, you talked to us about improving the team's efficiencies. And I'd like the world actually to know, at least my world, know more about you and, and share your journey. So let's, let's start at the beginning. Like I've told our listeners, we're changing the format up a bit. And it's going to be back and forth, a conversation more free-flowing. So, Mark, you know, let's let's start with your career, right? And it's all there on LinkedIn, and I'm going to open up those links to people who follow this podcast, and they'll they'll see the information sciences bachelor's, and then Loyola Marymount after that, and onward and upward, including behavioral studies. Can you share top three career moves, a major milestone, as to how you got here? A lot of people who are on this podcast listening in, either starting careers or looking for career tips, usually in technology, you know, you're, you have an equally exciting field. So tell us a little bit about, you know, three major career moves and milestones that got you where you are today. No, certainly. Thanks, Philip, for the intro. I'll start by saying that I've always been fascinated by family businesses and closely held firms. And that goes back to when I was very young. I grew up with a single mom and back in the seventies, that wasn't very cool as far as society was concerned, but she taught at a private school so I could attend a private school. She felt their education was very important. And the point I'm making here is what I realized is my friends who had these big houses and swimming pools and some of them, their families had airplanes. The majority of those families owned family businesses and closely held firms. And I made the connection there, not only for the the, the success that one could have, but the flexibility and the freedom, as well as the huge responsibility that one has when they're, they're running a family business that led me to my first job out of college. And I did, I, I've always been a student of it. I received my bachelor's degree in information systems management. And my first job was for a bank and I chose to go into a management training program for community banking. So I could still study family businesses, closely held firms, professional services firms, architect, engineers, those types of 
of firms and, and look at them from a financial perspective. And as many bankers do that have an entrepreneurial spirit, after a couple of years, I ended up going to work for one of my banking customers. And that was probably a major career move, uh, number one. And uh, it was a business that had I've been around for about 25 years, two partners, equal 50-50 partners, non-family members, but friends from the industry. And 50-50 adds a whole nother dynamic to, to decision-making. And I started as controller and it was a wholesale distribution company. And I eventually rose to president of that organization to help transition it from the first to the second generation. 50-50, those are fighting words, Mark. I can, I can only imagine, right? You've got to bring, you know, your best behavior and you've got to manage relationships and you are equal in the truest sense of the term. So that literally puts your skill set to work. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. And one of the partners uh, was a New Yorker. The other was from North Jersey, which is uh, just across the river. And so there were some fairly strong attitudes. The interesting thing, because there was so much trust in the partnership that when it came down to really difficult decisions, you know, one of the approaches to conflict resolution is to basically to pass it and say, you know, you're more passionate about this and I'll let you have this decision, but I get the next one. And so it's a, you know, kind of a quid pro quo is, and that's okay as long as it's a notified upfront and, you know, things as far as what state were we going to open up the next location or which accounting firm we're going to use. Some of those large decisions were made by uh, not a flip of a coin, but basically acquiescing, acquiescing to the partner that was more passionate about the decision. Trusted advisor. That's one of the monikers I missed in the introduction, uh, Mark. But, you know, so you talk about trust and you talk about, you know, the equivalent of flipping a coin or saying, you, know, you take one. What I generally refer to as the Dubinsky tips and tricks, which I'm dying to come to, but I mean, we're barely five minutes into this conversation and I've got three or four different rabbit holes I can go through, which for the sake of discipline and our producer, Melvin, I'm going to stay on track just for a little bit. Okay. So, so we talked about ca career moves that got you here. The takeaway being that you practice what you preach or you drink your cool own Kool-Aid, you do 50-50, you bring in industry partners, et cetera. Um, I've got a split here, but I'll take, I'll do Solomon-like decision. Let's talk about, and we rarely talk about this, a few setbacks in your career or lessons that you learned, right? This was the happy part. I picked the right partners. If I was to define looking from the outside in three to 5,000 miles away, your growth has been nothing short of steady, right? There's no, at least to me, looking from the outside in, right? You look at the organization, it's steady, it's growing, it's moving, it's, you, you've checked, mark, marked all the strategy boxes. Let's go on the dark side for a minute. Can you talk about a few career setbacks or lessons you've learned? Yeah, I sure can. I actually left the family business that I had run and uh, had taken that firm up to about 70 million in revenue. And I was lured or recruited, we should say, to a very fast growing logistics firm. And it, there was a contract and there was money in the, in the car and all those types of things. It's very attractive, but the owner, as happens in many cases, was not emotionally ready for a number two in the business. And the more that I became ingrained in the business and developed trust with the other leadership and management folks. And this was a, a company that had about 40 locations around the country, similar to a franchise. It was an agency model, but, but the more I became well doing my job in the business. 
the, the more agita and stress I got from the odor. And so it wasn't long before I realized that I was in a fairly uh, unique situation and it probably wasn't going to end up. And, you know, after, after several proud career moves and, and working my way up to, to the next step, I found myself around November of, of one year, uh, telling my wife that we probably shouldn't take that, uh, the Caribbean trip over the winter because we might want to watch, watch our dollars because I might have a move coming up. And so that was a, it was very humbling. Wow. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'm going to take the other end of the, the, the rabbit hole here with the fork in the road. So your job, your job involves working with teams. You worked with Aurora on multiple occasions, you know, quick to say, Hey, Mark, either we have a problem or we don't, you know, we need, we need you to fix something or we need you to do an annual checkup, or we need you to vet for this job description or measure for a person being a good fit for a certain job, you introduced me early to reading desk the right way and gave us the colorful wheels and had us put people in different parts of the wheel. If there was one thing I could say that, that you do well, and I mean that with all due respect, you do a lot of things well, is measure, right? Measure and be able to deliver and be able to ensure that teams work efficiently. We talked about trust. Well, God only knows there's enough management books out there that talk about, you know, trust being the basic tenant for teams to work together. So finally, with that set up my question, I firmly believe, you know, whether it's cybersecurity or running efficient teams or coaching or strategy, uh, it's always people. It always comes down to people. They're like children. You can't live with them, can't live without them. Uh, and you've had, you know, in the last 10 years at Avenue and you were involved that, a vast variety of shapes and sizes of teams to work with. Uh, can you share some of the trends and habits of successive failures? Going in, you know, you are, you know, an experienced uh, people doctor. And sometimes, you know, you're barely ringing the doorbell and you know what's happening. So talk to us about uh, your sure. Thanks so much. And you know, you're, you're absolutely correct. It all gets down to the people, no matter what type of business, whether it's a product business, a service business or an IT business, it's the people. And, you know, I think if I had a superpower, we would probably call it business therapy. And, you know, the formal word for that is facilitation and, and a high level of empathy. You know, you've heard of emotional intelligence that most people have, but being able to read the room, it's not just self-awareness, but it, it's the social awareness of what's going on in an organization who has the title, but, but sometimes who has the influence and, and oftentimes there are two different people or sometimes groups of people. And so, yeah, we go in and we try to go in without guns blazing. And we often start with a talent assessment, which is what we did with you years back. We run. You refer to the disc. We do use the disc. It's uh, one of the best behavioral and communication type assessments that's out there. And, uh, but we also add a few other assessments into the mix, something that helps us understand people's motivators, what, you know, the why about uh, how they do things. Well, I mentioned emotional intelligence. That's very important. We have an assessment that uses a science called axiology, and that measures basically a, a three-dimensional level of how someone thinks around people, systems and, um, and enterprise. And while I mentioned these assessments, it's really important to say that we never use the assessments and the reports and the data to make hard decisions. We simply use them to help us have better conversations, right? They, we can draw out the natural talents of someone 
We can also take a look at their, their 25 leadership competencies and how they stacked up against the role that they have in the organization. And in addition to trust, communication is, is a key for teams. And this helps us open up communication, not only with the individuals with whom we're working, but also with the teams. And by having something objective that we can point to and we can say map everyone on a disc wheel and, you know, it, it sounds a little bit, you know, uh, minor league academic, but it helps people understand why someone else may approach a problem a different way or why they might come, that, come at them very assertive because they're passionate about, you know, a certain motivator. And so that really helps us peel back a couple layers of the onion. And during that process, we get to know the organization, we get to know the people. And most importantly, as we work with the owner or the partners, if it's a professional services firm, we really try to understand what we call the commander's intent. You know, is this going to be something that's going to be built for an exit in two years? Is this something that is going to be developed for a legacy for the next two or three generations? We have a client in just outside of Jefferson City, Missouri, and they're going into their fourth generation. It's very structured and they have a board and we worked with them just um, over the past two years to go from the third generation CEO to the fourth generation CEO and, and bring him in. And so the assessments that we use really set the table for conversation. Uh, we never use the, the gladiator thumbs up or thumbs down to, to make a decision, but they help us have better conversations. Uh, I'll give you a little hint at one of the, the newest and we consider a coolest assessment coming down the pipe. It's called the adaptability quotient. So you've got your IQ. We already know about your EQ, your emotional intelligence. And my partner and I, Lindsay and I were probably, I think the 91st and 92nd person in the world to be certified in this adaptability quotient assessment that's uh, just hitting the market. Interesting. Facilitation. That, that's a great word, right? Whether what you do or cybersecurity, you're facilitating results, you're facilitating strategy, you're facilitating direction. You had me at empathy. That's, I'm being vulnerable here. That's a hard one for me, Mark. Still working on it. But, you know, there, there is much to be said about business owners opening up and, and being direct and vulnerable and empathetic. And not that we aren't, it's just that perception. And so trust and communication were the two big words again. And I, I firmly believe good communication will help fix this, you know, trying to understand the other person, trying to allow for varied opinions and ideas. Um, and I want to take you down that road a little further. So we talk about teams, we talk about efficiencies. They seems to work well in a hierarchy in a family, for example. We're in COVID times, work from anywhere and work from home. So mom and dad and family unit or whatever, whatever, or dad and dad and mom and mom, to be politically correct here, whatever the family unit is, more, you know, it works as a structure. and. Then we come to work, and, and I might be dating myself, but conversations involved leaving your sexuality, your God, and everything else at the door. And uh, you come in, and you know, there were sayings that, hey, you don't talk about women, sex, or religion at work. You know, it was a time when I worked in offices where they didn't want uh, you to display anything except, you know, very stepford like workplace. Uh, and so, we work hard and we say, hey, we're a family at work and we're a team and yet leave all this stuff away. And today the model I hope is changing for the better. This is who you are as a person. I'm going to add another layer to that before I 
this hot question in your lap. We test for disk and we say, you're missing this port, you're missing that port and adaptability added to that. Yet, in the big picture, and I'm going to tie all this together for you. We are who we are. You know, greater force, God, whoever you want to put in there has created or we are from nature or nurture who we are. And there is a certain importance to recognizing. And I'm going to take from your book, introvert or extrovert or task-oriented, you know, people-oriented. We are, I repeat, who we are. So put all of this together for me. You've got a team. You walk in and you've got all these measurements. We're looking for trust and communication, and we're looking for efficiencies, and we're trying to create a cohesive, highly efficient group. Comments, thoughts. Yeah, so it's it's great. And while we can measure, we'll, we'll call it the DISC or the Myers-Briggs or whatever four-factor behavioral model, that you know that's how we communicate. Those are observable behaviors. And so if I watch you in a group, I can tell if you're extroverted or introverted, et cetera. Many people can work with, with people that are, have very different behavioral styles. You know, that's that opposites attract, right? And also birds of a feather flock together. So people that have similar styles are going to naturally get along. Where humans connect is usually at the, lo the, the level below. If we picture an iceberg, you know, the, the tip of the iceberg are those behavioral styles. What's below the iceberg is more formidable and it makes up more of the person. Okay. That's the why we do the things that we do. And you are absolutely correct that we have to be a little bit more careful at work of what we see in, in some of the, the environments are more highly charged because of the sensitivities about some of these subjects. However, if people can understand that different folks on the team view the world differently and have different values by understanding that and, and making it somewhat academic or at least objective, then they can respect that view a little bit differently as opposed to say, say, oh, Phillips always going on about this and this and, and what he did over the weekend with his church service, et cetera. And as opposed to saying, I understand that Philip is motivated by a structured life. He has a very strong belief system and I respect that for him. And so when we can help people understand that there, there are 12 primary driving forces, why, why people do the things that they do. One of them is intellectual. It is, is intellectual and people like you and I have a high intellectual driving force, but by people understanding that they can and they can not, not only accept, but embrace the diversity on their team. And that has been one of the breakthroughs that we've had with some of the organizations with whom we work. And we work with a lot of family businesses, as I mentioned, but on Monday, I'll be with the billion dollar law firm with the, the managing of regional managers from all over the country. And we're going to be going through exactly that discussion because we have folks that are coming from different regions, as well as very different values and we'll be working with them. To, to help them develop more as a team. And so in un understanding and an awareness, you know, and you had mentioned empathy and, and I would challenge you, you have a high level of empathy, Philip. It's just that you don't always overemphasize that, right? Many leaders and business owners, they know what's going on. They, they understand how the other person is feeling, but they underemphasize that because they've got to keep the trains going in the right direction. Exactly. Simply exactly. not. Yep. So I mean, look, intelligent, and empathetic. Yeah, I think we're done, Mark. You've just, you told me I'm good. So it's turned to Well, you still, you still have to, to influence other people. You know, there's a lot of work. <laughs> so so no, that's absolutely brilliant, right? Let me try to digest what you just said. And let me use the sales analogy, right? So back in 
back in the day, it was, hey, I've got this bright, shiny thing. Come get it before stocks run out. This is going to change your life. It's an elixir or it's a magic box or whatever. Today, and there's this, this lady that I follow, Tiffany Bova, who does a lot of work on sales. And she says, look, all you've got to do is listen to your customer. Your customer is going to give you your five-year plan. You can stop, yell to your heart's content on the street corner, or you can stop for a minute and say, hey, what, what is it that you really need? How can I help you? And if I take that analogy, you're saying the same thing. You're saying communicate with the respect and pardon the pun on the word respect, with respect to your customer. They may listen differently. Right? Uh, lions listen in bullet points. Camels want details, right? And that's the, the dominant and the you know, compliant. And, you know, it, it's basically we get to be who we are, uh, but we've got to be aware of our customer or the person on the other end of the line and how they receive information. Uh, uh, is that a succinct summation? Well, you know, and that's a great way to describe it, Philip. And that's, that's why we never want to be a permanent line item on somebody's P&L. You know, when I said that we, we first met in 2014, we did a little business and it was two or three years later that we came back in as your team growed. And so the idea is to help people have those conversations, to help build the team, to build the trust, and then have someone in the, you know, in, in the organization carry it forward, or ideally more than one person, you know, we call that the teacher person to fish approach, as you know, and, and that works very well. So it's, it's, again, it's, it's not rocket science, but there's a little bit of science and a little bit of philosophy behind it. And to be honest, that's a great segue into the topic of cyber, because yeah. as I mentioned, I've always been a student of IT. And when we're doing strategic plans with organizations and helping them look forward three and five years, and if it's generational, look down into the next generation, we have to bring topics like cyber to the table. You know, that's something that, that, that a lot of small organizations just don't even think about it. I, I use the analogy of high blood pressure where, you know, you hear about that, that high blood pressure is bad for you and you should watch your diet and you know, you could, you could have a stroke or even, you know, um, or even worse. If you don't watch your high blood pressure, no one really does anything about it until there's, there's some type of event, right? And so we try to help them understand that there's the, that there's this cyber threat lurking out there and nine times out of 10, these small to medium sized business. And I'm talking about folks that are say 150 up to 150 folks. They simply don't have the, the volume of people and the volume of revenue to support a, an avant-garde IT team. And so they need to rely on the experts out there. So their, their day-to-day folks, whether they're, they're admin or they're out on the road, their sales, or they could be field service folks. So they can use the tools that they have, their tablets that make their business more efficient and, and get the work done very efficiently and, and share information, but they can use it without even thinking about the potential threats that are out there. And that's where we need, you know, the folks like, like you and the other cyber experts to not only work on the, the known knowns as, as I've heard it described before, but those, you know, the, those unknown knowns that are coming down the pike. This is true. Yeah. And then thank you for gently nudging me towards cyber. You just made this podcast tax deductible. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> so let's talk about cyber a little further, right? Yes. And I love the blood pressure analogy. Between blood pressure and empathy, you've, you've got me nailed down perfectly, two for two so far. So Mark, what does the future of cybersecurity look for you? And if you'll allow me 
to say from the outside in, right? And I don't mean that you aren't aware of this thing or purveying it and shining a light on it in the interest of a vital part of business strategy. Fully agree. Things that we are struggling with generally as, as a group of uh, facilitators, if I may use the term. Millennials are saying at this day and age, well, I'm sure you want me to have a 20 character password. Why the heck do I have to remember it? You got me here. You can look at me. You know how I type. You know how I speak. And you know, the company that acquired Aurora has this amazing uh, artificial intelligence machine learning program that can figure out who you are to a high degree of accuracy just by the way you type. Okay. okay. Brilliant product used in, in cybersecurity pretty extensively. So we have our customers who are today's millennials. It's the the sons and grandsons of the people that we started with who are saying, hey, you know, I don't want to remember 20, 20 character password. Just, you know who I am, make my services available to me. When it comes to cybersecurity today, you know, earlier we had this electrified fence. It was called the office. You left the office and everything got cut off. There are large billion dollar organizations that still operate with those same tenants. However, we're all distinct. Uh, my insider or my employee could be sitting in the Philippines or Serbia or India. In fact, not could be, they are. And it's open ocean. So uh, a topic that you're very familiar with and beautiful art yeah. ground as well. Oh, so yeah, so sure. what, is, what does cybersecurity look like to you? First, it was the physical fence and then the geo fence. And, you know, and now I, I like to use the term friction free because the users of the technology, whether they're using a tablet or their phone or, 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 the, or their laptop, they, they really need to be able to do their work. And so the, the pressure on the folks that are coming from cybersecurity is to make it friction free. You know, I, I fly about a hundred times a year and you know, the, um, you know, going through clear it has just made it, you know, just wonderful between then TSA pre-check. It's always wonderful on a Monday to, to breeze right through. However, you know, I know that I gave up some personal information. They've got my retina scan and they've got my fingerprint, yeah. things like that. And I have nothing to hide, but you know, that's part of, of the gift from the human in order to, to have these, these, these benefits, you know, we have to, we have to play the game when it comes to your clients and the end users, it's really about making it friction free for them. And I think just like in any relationship, there are some, some things that we would like to have. And then there are also those deal breakers and you know, whether it's a 20 character password with an exclamation point at the front or the back of it, if that's a deal breaker, then if you want to be on that team, you're going to have to play with that. But the, the idea is to make those deal breakers fewer and fewer. And what I see your, your question was, what does the future look like? You know, it, it's almost going back to when I set up the distributed network for the wholesale distributor, when we used a wide area network and that was completely closed with the, with the T1s that were connecting or everything back then it was an AS 400. I think that was upgraded to an RS 6,000. We're talking a long time ago, Philip, but, but you know, the idea is that we were in a closed network and what I see going down the road is people being working in a similar closed network, but it's in the cloud and that, you know, that's up to you and your teams to figure out, but no matter where I am, and I was on a boat on, on Wednesday with a few clients, spending some quality time with them. And, you know, everyone was doing some work on the boat while we we're going from one place 
to the next. And then we were in a, a, a bed and breakfast. And because we were actually lower than sea level, we had very poor connectivity. And so we go into the bed and breakfast, you know, to their Wi-Fi. and do we, are we secure or, and so, you know, the, the folks that, that had the secure network that they could, they could, you know, sign into, they didn't have to worry about that. But for, you know, a few of the folks there, they were just trusting that the innkeepers were, were not nefarious. So they were done. And, and you know, I think, uh, yeah, that is the point, isn't it? I mean, that the point is whether it's in the club or anywhere, security should be a basic tip. Yeah. You know, and, and I think it's become commonplace for users to accept that, you know, when an unknown known becomes a known, then there are bug fixes. And, you know, I, I already have uh, a message on my iPhone that there's a, a, I think it's 16 point something tonight that's going to upgrade and has to do with some type yep. of some type of vulnerability, you know, and that's just, that's just par for the course to, to enjoy the, you know, the, the, the technical advances and the ease of use that we have, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to have to let it automate itself. But I mean, how much work is that for me to let it update while I'm sleeping? That's, it's not a pretty big deal. I think that it's, it's the responsibility of the users to at least have a basic understanding of how things are working. And if we go back to the family businesses and cybersecurity, oftentimes there's such a gap between the, the historical way, I don't want to say the old way, between the historical way of doing things and just the way things are, are done now, that oftentimes we have to look an owner in the eye and that person might be 70 or 80 years old and say, you know, you just need to trust us. And that's where we can build the bridge between the relationship that we have with our client if we're helping them through, say, a successional succession transfer and in a, in a very valid MSP or cybersecurity firm because they just can't get their head around the, the trust that they need to, to open up to that firm and the dollars that they're going to be spending with that. Well, well stated. Let's talk about you. So if there's one thing I remember about you, it's avid runner. I think you got me started and I have to report back 10 years later and I'm in surgery that I have, have had to move on to biking, right? So. This is what you do for fun. This is what you've done for your health and you've sustained and been very tenacious about it. Tell us more. Yeah. Well, you know, running gives you time to think and, you know, most people will put headset on or the, the aftershocks that goes on your temple. So you can still hear if cars or, or bikes or motorcycles are coming at you, but I don't always have music or, or a book on, you know, to, to run. And I'm at the beach now run to the sand four miles. That's a healthy run. And you listen to the ocean and not listening to music. And that's very cathartic for folks. It's not for everybody, you know, so whether it's, it's biking or just taking a, a power walk or something like that, you know, the other thing that I have a slight addiction to is saltwater fishing. And one of my best friends, we have a goal to catch a hundred different saltwater species and then log them and take pictures and, and all those types of things. And we're up to 90 and oh, wow. uh, you know, it takes some planning and uh, it, it takes a little bit of investment and we have to go far out sometimes to, to find the species. And we might be looking for one species and come up with, with something that we had never planned, but you know, that's, that's part of the, part of the adventure. But we were out a few, a few weeks ago and it took four hours just to get to the, the continental shelf where we were going to do some treat, what's called deep drop fishing. And the four hours out there as the sun was coming up and we, you know, we have the beauty of nature and the beauty of a, of a, of a trusted colleague in conversation, you know, that's, that doesn't get much better than that. Priceless. I, I agree. I totally agree. So daily habits, meditation, besides running, sleep out in the open, dive into 40 degree water. Talk to us more. 
Yeah, I have not done the cold plunges. I was recently, I think where it was, where they had, oh, one of our neighbor has one actually, of a, a pass it up on my run. And so maybe I'll try this weekend. I, I've not done that. I am an avid practitioner of, of meditation. And a couple of years ago, we did a study on my brain because I was very skeptical of meditation. And so we went out to Scottsdale, Arizona, and we had an electroencelograph put on my head, which is basically a, a fancy way of saying 18 or so electrodes uh, that were measuring my thinking. A little better and, than one of those uh, tinfoil caps. Huh? Yeah. So it looked kind of like, <laughs> and, um, and we, we, we had an intern with us and she was not ready for all the gel that they were going to put on her hair, but it, it ended successfully. But the point is they did a base reading of how I responded or reacted to words that were either going to be negative triggers or positive, potentially positive triggers or neutral. Uh, and then I went away and med meditated every single day for four months and, and only for about 15 minutes. And I used just one of the, the generic headspace, you know, I think back then it was headspace was the, the app that I was using. And I have to tell you, Phil, when I went back, the difference was amazing. And we have a whole really non-scientific paper that I, I'm happy to share. My, my sister's a scientist and she gets upset when we share because it's not, not validated or peer reviewed. The point is. Those things that affected me negatively originally, there was still a recognition of, of a negative, of a negative ping, but it dissipated much, much faster. You've right? got and, a share, Mark. You've got and, a share. And the things, the things that resonated positive with me, they, they, they glowed positive longer. And so here's, here's the thing. So, okay, what's the business application? One number one, I was less stressed. During that time, I made two or three business decisions that when I came up with the idea, my partner, Lindsay said, why did we ever think of that before? It's because we had too much clutter because yeah. the negative things, they stay with us much longer. And by, by meditating, we basically build up a, not a force field, but just a natural defense mechanism that, that doesn't let those things stay and fester. And so it allows us for more creative thought. And so, right. you know, feels the Lenovo would believe that, that I, I speak like this, but it really does make a difference. So I do come from the land of meditation and I'm really lean on you now. Do share, please, because that sounds very exciting. So Mark, what are you excited? What, speaking of excitement, what are you excited about? Well, what I'm excited about now is we have found a niche in what we call successionpreneurship, where we're helping folks and often family businesses, but not always family businesses when they're, when they're brave enough to admit that they're immortal and look three to five years out and actually start the planning for what the business is going to look like without them and then take them through the process and, and basically be a steward. We're not financial experts. We're not law experts. You know, we understand things like ESOPs and selling to private equity and, and we can make those types of connections for people. And we never take any type of referral fees. It's so, it's so we stay completely objective for our clients and we're advocates for them. Uh, but we've really helped a lot of firms uh, approach those, those things and have those conversations that were otherwise unspoken and created a lot of stress. If it was a family business, it would create stress for the family, but even a, a regular business, it would create stress with the, with the up and coming managers. You know, am I going to, move my family to a new location if this, and, and this firm might sell next year. So it's about, it's about helping folks understand their options and then eventually execute on that plan. Along with that, we saw a, and this is, you, you can tie it to, to COVID and the, 
changing job market and even some of the generational changes. But we saw a big gap between senior managers and, you know, there, there were 10,000 um, people retiring every day, the Gen Xers retiring every day, and a, a big gap between those folks that are leaving with the institutional knowledge and then the up and coming folks. The, that mid-range is typically not there anymore. You know, it used to be a blemish if people were called career hoppers, and now it's career building. And so a lot of folks just haven't been at an organization for 5, 10, 15 20 years. And so the institutional knowledge is not there. Sure. So we created a program called Mind the Gap, and it's to help accelerate those folks that are viewed as potentially, you know, longer term employees and, and shine a light on them in a very, you know, appropriate and professional development way and, and ideally accelerate uh, their development so they can be ready to take over some of the larger responsibilities that are coming down the pike. We uh, came up with the idea last October at our uh, planning retreat. We developed the content over the winter. We were hoping to start the, the program with six people, just have a small, a small cohort. It's a year-long program. We had seven people the first day, and I, I think that we just had 10 more folks that want to start another cohort in January. And so it, it tells us that there's a strong need and investment that's going to be made in those, those folks that are going to rise up and run the business, whether it's a, a publicly held firm or a family business or something in between. And that's the amazing part about you and Blue Water. It's like, you know, you always have a test or an article or information ready to go to meet our needs. And how, how do our listeners get on your, is it monthly bite? That, oh that, yeah, we have a we have a weekly blue water bite that just goes out. Blue the, water bite. That's yeah, right. the blue the blue water bite goes out Tuesday mornings, and thousands of people receive it. And you know the we 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 receive awards and and nice testimonials. But boy, one of the best things is when I walk into a client's office, you know, like your office, and I, I think one of your folks had printed out one of our blue water bites, and it's up on the wall or or by the coffee machine. And what that means is that the the things that we're talking about that are not right rocket science, but they're important for human communication and interaction. They're resonating with folks, right? And we usually put some type of hopefully appropriate picture, sometimes a little comical to make the point that we're making. And the blue water bite is here's the concept and here's the bite. I mean, this is how it applies to a professional at work. And so we're happy to add anyone, anyone to that, to the distribution list. And again, what we're doing is we're trying to stay a couple of years ahead of what our business owners and sometimes we call them business sponsors because they could be, you know, potential partners, rising partners. And we work with many law firms, accountants, engineers, architects, et cetera. And, you know, those are, those are businesses that they're not family businesses, but they could be made up of 18 or 60 different partners. We have tools to help them have the conversations that need to be had because otherwise it's like having that proverbial stone in your shoe and it starts off as a you know, little bit of a discomfort and then it turns into a blister and then it really starts to bother folks. And if no one talks about it, then usually bad things happen. Custom facilitator, that's where I'll put you, right? It's very tailored. You understand your customer and can build uh, programs that are tailor-made for your client. So. I'm remiss the, the website where we can go sign up for the Blue Water Bite is, is it bluewateradvisory.com? Just bluewateradvisory.com. Yes. And, and just to, to clarify what you were describing, we have over 50 
modules of training that we've developed over the years. And we only license one uh, mature, one one type of material, and that's from Patrick Lencioni, class yep. five dysfunctions of a team. It's only because we haven't been able to find or write something better. He's <laughs> he's the best when it comes to that. Right, he nailed and, it. Nailed it. I yeah, mean, and the, I, I have the the uh, privilege to share a stage with him a couple of years ago, and, and he's just as nice in person as you see on the video. So we have about 50 modules of training, and then we will curate what we have and what our clients need so it fits them really well. We've grown strictly by referral, as Todd Barch referred me to you a long time ago. And we have really made a name for ourselves by being high touch and in person. So you, you can imagine what happened on March 20th or on March 13th, uh, 2020, when COVID hit. We were literally in the Key West airport uh, coming back with a client from a, a client offsite retreat when the world shut down. And so, you know, we had, you know, a year's worth of, of travel and programs on, on the calendar that just got put on the shelf as you know, as, as the universe has it. And we were blessed with a, a client not far from you in Orange County that uh, had a distributed network of executives. They said, Hey, we've got 30 high level executives that need support for the next year. Can you coach these folks through this, this uh, terrible time that we're having? And so that, that coaching basically carried us through the dark days of COVID and working from home and, and those types of things. And, and now we're back on the road. This is a ton of fun. 30 seconds. Music. Well, oh, you know, you know I, I, I'm a Jimmy Buffett fan and last oh, Friday nice. was, a, was a, a very sad day. I, you know, woke up and all the news that, that I knew or that, that he had passed away. And, you know, a lot of people just think of the Margaritaville and sitting on the beach with Corona, but he produced 56 albums in his career. And a couple of those were compilation albums. Many of those were, were live albums, but there were over 30 you know, unique albums. And if you go back and listen to some of the words that, you know, he was, he was a poet, he was a philosopher. And, you know, if, if you take the time to go on Spotify and listen to some of the things that, that aren't on the, on the general Jimmy Buffett playlist, you'll, you get a whole different perspective. Let's do so, uh, one in honor. Let's do Marita Vell in honor of Jimmy Buffett tonight. Historical figures, Mark, 30 seconds. Historical figures, you know, I'll give you a quiz, uh, a quiz. Who was the, uh, what is the pen name for Samuel Clemens? Ten bucks for that Mark Twain. And, and, uh, oh, of course. I, okay. <laughs> I, 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 that's okay. You, you yeah. still get your 10 bucks. I, yeah. I admire him because what he wrote in, you know, in, in the late 1800s and we traveled around the world, he has this very long book. that's about 1200 pages called following the equator. In fact, Jimmy Buffett has a song about that, but what he experienced in in India and in Europe and the different countries that he went to, he basically sailed on a, on a steamship around the world and, and wrote about his journey. Yep. Those struggles and the political stripes and, and individual struggles that are going are still going on today. And so, so I, I think it's, it's interesting that, you know, people get so caught up at the moment and the pendulum might swing one way or the other. And, and, you know, sometimes usually when it swings, it swings to the extreme when it comes to society. But those things were going on back then. And I, I think the, the point is to figure out how we're going to, to make a life and do good in the world to leave it better than we found it with all of the noise that's around us. What a beautiful way to end. I have one last one for you. If you had a billboard. If I had a billboard, well, I'm going to, I'm going to risk offending some people and, and, and borrow from the Bible, a, a phrase from Luke 1248 that says, you know, for, for those have been given much. 
much will be expected. And that's, that's basically how, how I live my life. And if we've been fortunate, fortunate enough to be having this conversation and be where we are in our careers, then we would be irresponsible if we weren't paying it forward. Amen, Brother Davinsky. Well done. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us on this episode of Secure IT as I continue the cybersecurity discussion with customers, vendors, end users, employees, and as with today's episode, trusted advisors, influencers, and custom facilitators, helping us to learn from their insights and knowledge and from their experiences. By now, you know well that you can find us on wherever podcasts exist. Oh, and uh, just a gentle reminder to, to DM me on LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever you can find me an email even with questions, kudos, or comments. We will share Mark's uh, LinkedIn profile as we publish this podcast. Thanks again, everyone, and see you next week.